I needed to overdo and achieve with everything, even in non-traditional career ways. And I finally stopped and asked myself why. And that was my first break was like, oh, wait, look at all these rules we're handed in our culture as a whole that we always need to be doing more. We're not allowed to slow down. We're not allowed to take a break and really connecting our worth to success and to achievement. Hello, hello. Welcome to Soloist Women, where we're all about turning your expertise into wealth, and impact. I'm Rochelle Moulton, and today I'm here with Heather Welpley, who works with women to break free from perfect and create their own rules for life. She's a speaker, award-winning author of two books, and the host of the Grounded Wildness podcast. Heather, welcome. Thank you, Rochelle. I'm so thrilled to be here chatting with you today. Well, I'm delighted to have you on the show, and I want to give a shout out to Chris Jennings for suggesting that we connect. Because this idea that women have to follow certain rules to be a good, successful, likable female makes me insane. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm excited to dig into this and talk about those rules, how they create imposter syndrome, and how we can make our own rules. But first, I do love to begin with a bit of background about how you got started in your business. I mean, you were in corporate HR, right? I was, yeah, for 10 years before I started my business. So what made you decide to hang your shingle? Well, so I'd never thought about being a business owner. You know, I wasn't one of those people who was like, you know, one day I'll be my own boss. I know this is my destiny. I never thought about that. I was enjoying most of my work in corporate. I worked in HR and leadership development and change management. I had great colleagues, great managers, like things were good. And then one day my job changed. I had been doing mostly women's leadership development and my job changed to something outside of my control that I immediately knew I was going to hate. And it was my birthday, which is just, I think, a message (laughs) from the universe. You know, we talk about like full body yeses. This was a full body no. Everything in my body, heart, mind, and soul was like, absolutely not. Something's going to have to change quickly because this job is not going to work. And I really took a step back for the first time in a long time and thought really deeply about what do I want? What do I want my career to look like? What's the impact I want to have? And for the first time, I decided to include entrepreneurship as a possibility in that. It wasn't a sure thing. It wasn't, oh, yes, immediately this is what I'm going to do. But as I started talking to people, as I started reflecting, I did the Design Your Life book, which was a great activity reflection book, and gave myself some space to really consider Then some excitement started building up, some excitement for these possibilities of what I could do if I was on my own. I could write, I could train, I could coach, I could speak, I could do what I wanted to do. And although there was a ton of fear there as well, particularly this fear of failure and having to go back to corporate, you know, with my tail tucked between my legs because I couldn't hack it on my own, like that was all very real also. But this excitement was something that even though I enjoyed my corporate work, I hadn't felt that in a really long time. And it felt like this knowing of, I need to try this out. What's really funny though, so that was uh, six years ago, seven years ago, and I found a business plan a few months ago for what I thought this business was going to look like. And really only one line of the five pages is accurate today, which was, <laughs> I want to work mostly with women. And that's it's still true, but everything else has changed in that time period. And so, yeah, but it really was a, a job change that initially 
initiated that reflection and that decision. But then it was the excitement and the possibilities and deciding it was worth the risk to try and figure it out and to try and run a business on my own. I love that you actually had a business plan. I mean, I did the same thing, but a lot of people, when they're, you know, first hanging out a shingle, there is no business plan. It's like, okay, how can I just make enough to pay my rent or my mortgage and put food on the table and I'll figure it all out later? So I love it. And it's not surprising that it changed over the course of, right. you know, six or seven years. Yes, I think almost everyone's would change. And it's funny when you said, you know, people just figure it out along the way. I think that's really what I did anyway. I just happened to write some things down first that ended up changing. <laughs> it was everything. I, I did not know at all how to run a business. You know, I had the leadership development background, which is, you know, still in the realm of what I do, roughly speaking, in my business. But it's, uh, yeah, I had no clue how to actually run a business. That was all learning on the job. Yeah, it's a whole new skill set. Mm-hmm, you know, absolutely. like consulting is a skill set. So, do you consider yourself a soloist? Absolutely. Yes. I currently have no interest in growing a team. <laughs> I reserve the right to change my mind about that at any time, but yeah, I'm a solopreneur. My my overall theme in my business and really for my life as a whole is big impact, simple joy. So, I mm. want to create the biggest impact I can with the greatest simplicity out there. So, I absolutely work with an accountant and a bookkeeper. And then I have an amazing marketing specialist that I work with like one to two hours a week who does some of the stuff on my podcast, the background things on my podcast and anything that I've ever designed that looks pretty. She probably had a role in. (laughs) She's amazing. And then I work with someone else. I'm a speaker. So a few years ago, I invested in having someone design my slides for me so that they look Mm. significantly more professional than when I was doing them on my own. But I don't have any employees and I don't have any interest in having any employees. Well, you're talking to the right crowd. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I was so excited when you when when Chris decided to introduce us. <laughs> well, so how long did it take you to earn your first hundred thousand? Do you remember? Oh, that's a great question. I think about year three. Mm-hmm. I'm almost positive it was year three. If we're talking about revenue, that it would have yeah. been 100000 Yeah, Yeah. Mm-hmm. We talk top line because the bottom line in these kinds of businesses is all over the lot. But the beauty True. is that we do tend to keep a lot of what we earn versus businesses that have lots of employees or you know lots of overhead like rent. Very much so. Yes. I mean, I'm a completely service-based business. The only quote unquote products that I have are my two books and and an accompanying journal. (laughs) That is it. (laughs) And so I don't have any other tangible products. It's just me and the speaking services, coaching services that, that, that I provide, which does make it easy and flexible and yeah, low cost, low overhead, which makes it easier, I think, too. Also not having employees to take risks and try new things because in actuality, the risk is pretty low. It doesn't always feel low, like the emotional component is still there. But when I stop and take a step back and say like, okay, if this actually failed, what am I going to lose? Honestly, the answer frequently is not that much. So it makes it easier to be more flexible, I think. Yeah, I love that point. When we had Emily O'Meara on the show, she was talking about how a lot of times what we think is risky isn't really risky at all. It's like what you said about, because I felt it too, is going back to corporate with my tail between my legs. I mean, so what? Like nobody's going to remember that for more than a nanosecond other than us if we feel shame around it, which like, why bother? Exactly. There's no shame in any of this. At least we tried, right? That's kind of how I look at it. Yes. 
Well, thank you for that. But so I really want to dive into um, this idea that we, we, and I, I say women, but I'm sure it's true for all genders, is that we all have inherited some form of rules. And I like how you define them in your new book, Grounded Wildness. You had family rules, school rules, media rules, work rules. Like what kinds of messages do we internalize and make our own? Oh my gosh, so many. And what you just said is the exact right way to say it of these messages that we internalize and then make our own. And that's absolving any guilt or shame around that because we all do this. And those rules that we follow don't come from inside of us. They come from our, <laughs> like you said, our families, media, general cultural expectations, our work experiences, our school experiences, what you've been praised for, what you've been punished for, what's been talked about, what's not been talked about. All of these different things is how we get our rules. And absolutely, totally right. Every person gets a set of rules regardless of gender. Both my books do tend to, particularly Grounded Wildness, do tend, does tend to focus on the rules that are handed to women that cause us to prove, please, perfect, and sometimes rebel and push against them. But when it comes to women, you know, a lot of the rules that were handed, you know, if we think about kind of how we're showing up in work and relationships, it's like, I can't disappoint anyone. I have to be responsible for everyone and everything. I have to keep everyone happy. I'm not allowed to say no. I have to say yes to everything. Things have to be perfect. I'm not allowed to make a mistake. Um, and then that can translate into, or I should always be doing more and working harder. And that can translate into our businesses as well. So those rules apply regardless of your type of position or career or job. But as a business, I think we also get additional entrepreneurship rules of around hustling and like rise and grind. And, <laughs> you know, you always have to be doing more. It's all on you. So you can never take a break. If you don't post on social media, you're going to lose your followers. You always have to be doing more like just in this and growing more and constantly getting bigger and not taking time off and just this hustle, grind, hamster wheel. And that part, I will say, applies to all genders. That is not women-specific, the hustle culture at all. Mm -hmm. But I've seen that women can often take on, because of these rules handed to us, greater responsibility and guilt around some of these rules as well. So even though they might be handed down to all gender, they don't, all genders, they don't always impact all genders in the same way. You know, one of the things that struck me as you were talking about this is that uh, what we're praised for, mm -hmm. the way you said that, and it's kind of like I've, I'm developing this theory that what we're praised for tends to be what gets us stuck in our zone of excellence versus our genius zone, right? Yes. And we just, we get praised for things, especially in an organization. And it's great to be praised. You know, we can get promotions, we can win things and encourage us to, encourages us to work harder at the things we're good at or even excellent at, but somehow it leaves us short of our genius zone. I completely agree. And I just listened to your podcast episode on that. And I've read The Big Leap as well. And I really like that concept of zone of genius versus zone of yeah. excellence. And I will also say, in, a, in addition to everything you just said, I think sometimes those rules can also cause us to hold our voices back because part of the rules that women are handed about being a quote unquote good girl or good woman is to like not make people angry and to be polite. And of course, not everyone gets handed all of these rules in the exact same way, but I've definitely felt them. And I've talked to a lot of other women who felt them that makes it 
can make it harder to disagree, to put yourself out there, to raise your prices, to take a stand, to share something that might be controversial where you might get criticism. You know, all of these things that can make it harder, which I think also makes it harder to leap into your zone of genius because I think in my experience personally, not always, that zone of genius might be a little bit more might be a little more controversial. Like not everyone is going to love what you're doing and saying in your zone of genius. And women are so programmed to to be liked. Like this is part of our value is in being likable. And oftentimes working in your zone of genius, not everyone is going to like what you do. Fewer people are going to like it more and benefit from it more, but it's not going to be likely not going to be across the board, which is a challenge if you've been told directly and indirectly throughout your life that part of your value lies in being liked by other people. Oh, yeah. I, I feel so seen right now. <laughs> <laughs> we all feel this way. <laughs> Almost all of us feel this way at some point or another or every single day. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how can we become more conscious of the rules that we've created for ourselves and start to test them to see if they're even true. I mean, I feel like so many of us, myself included, have chosen rules that just don't serve us, like that we have to hide who we are, or we have to work harder than everyone else to be worthy. Like, how do we get to really understanding what rules we've ingested? I think part of it is just asking yourself the question and then starting to notice. So when you feel like even just that list that I listed off, or if you read Grounded Wildness, there are there are lists and you know greater explanation of some of these rules that will trigger in a positive way, trigger things in you where you say, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing, or I feel I know exactly what she's talking about, or this is how those rules show up for me, or gosh, my boss that I had 15 years ago when I was in my corporate career used to always say X to me, and I'm still operating that way, even though I'm a business owner now and don't even have a boss. You know, so you start to recognize and then just question with compassion and that and curiosity. And that part to me is so critical. This compassion and curiosity. Because I know for me, for years, I mean, decades of my life, I primarily questioned with self-judgment of like, why do I feel this way? Why can't I set boundaries? Why can't I just do less? Why is this so hard? Why can't I lose weight? Why, why, why am I getting this feedback that I'm too direct? How do I just show up and share my voice, but not get that feedback? And how do I do it all right all of the time and not make a mistake? And that was not a healthy way <laughs> to go about things, nor honestly an effective way to go about things. So when you start to question with curiosity and compassion, you can start to see for yourself what part are you accountable for? Because we are all adults and we are accountable for the beliefs that we are holding and what we're choosing to let go and how we're showing up in the world. And also, what isn't on you? Like, what do you not need to carry? Because that was a rule that never originated inside of you, never was yours to carry, and you can let it go. I do want to point out there are reasons for these rules. Some of them might have made you successful in the past, like you had that boss where everything had to be perfect or you got criticized really harshly. We do a lot to avoid really harsh criticism, you know, shame and humiliation. So you might have had past experiences. Some of these are also based in bias and discrimination, which impacts different groups differently. And I want to be you know, clear that not all women are treated in the same way when it comes to bias and discrimination. So women of color are going to be experiencing more and different discrimination than me as a white woman, for example. But some of that is based in bias and discrimination. I've had to go through a 
big revelation around using my voice because I got feedback in my corporate career that I could be too direct. And because I was also the perfectionist and overachiever, I took that feedback on really a lot. And it really caused me to question myself. I still shared my voice, but especially as a business owner, I've had to learn how to let go of that rule, realize that maybe 20% of that feedback was helpful and the other 80% of it never would have been given to me if I'd been a man. I can't carry that with me. I just can't. I need to let it go and know that it's still going to be a challenge because the bias and discrimination is still there. The rule still exists. And it's something that I want to challenge every single day of my life. Well, and I just love the fact that you're too direct is such a plus when you're in business. It's so true. I I had to learn that. I had a coaching, I was coaching an entire team, which is not something I do anymore. So it was kind of coaching slash consulting. And he literally told me this was in my first year of business. He was like, Heather, I am paying you for your advice and to tell me what to do. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I <laughs> haven't done that. Like it has been, it was hard for me to just directly say, this is what I think you should do, or this is my advice, take it or leave it. But here is my expertise and opinion that I'm sharing with you. Even though I am a speaker now on stage, so I've, I have had to really get used to that and envelop and really own it to own my own expertise and value. It took me a while. <laughs> it took me a while to get there. Well, yeah, it's like opposite things. Like in corporate, in theory and, and in general, you're not supposed to stand out too much, like just enough. Whereas in business, when you own your own business, they expect you to be direct yes. and clear. I remember being told more than once that I was too much. Yes. Like just dial it back. Yep. And I'm like, but that's who I am. Like some people like that. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's part of getting that kind of feedback is I always try to separate what is constructive and, and candid feedback from what is their own bias. And the bias doesn't have to be about gender. The bias could just be that they think that everybody should think the way that they do and you don't. Exactly. Right. One of the, yeah, one of the biggest realizations I had was was after reading or during reading Playing Big by Tara Moore and she talks in there about how all criticism and praise, so like any type of feedback you're getting is always coming from that person's perspective. Yeah. Always. Always. So even the really great things people are saying it's coming from their perspective. And that doesn't make it right or wrong. That doesn't mean we should negate all of it or listen to every single part of it. It's just about recognizing that. And then, like you said, parsing out what is actually helpful in this and what is not, what's not mine to carry, what might be based in that person's perspective that isn't actually helpful to me in any way, shape or form. So it was really helpful for me to realize that and to start to be conscious about that when I, when I look for or receive feedback. Yeah. We had um, Seth Godin on my other podcast mm. and we, we asked him about, you know, how he deals with book reviews. And he said, you know, he doesn't look at anything that's a one or a two. Yeah. <laughs> because, and his, his rationale was not what I thought he was going to say. He said, it's because the book isn't for them. It's true. And so, you know, he didn't say, I don't care, but that was kind of the upshot of, of his comment about it. And, and you'll hear this with celebrities too, because it's like, if you read the great reviews, then you have to read the bad reviews too. And I like this idea of sometimes just compartmentalizing it 
out of your existence because those are not your people and they're going to think what they want to think. In fact, I'm convinced that's the only way politicians can run for office (laughs) these days because everybody's got something they don't like about them. It's very true. I I completely agree with that. And and having said that, my So Grounded Wildness came out in October and on Amazon at the very end of October. And I have been reading the reviews partly because I'm trying to actively gain more reviews because it's helpful for lots of different reasons, even though I'm not playing any Amazon games, but (laughs) I decided to opt out of that game of of, of trying to figure that out. But the, um, it has been because Grounded Wildness was really vulnerable. It was really vulnerable to share what was in there. It has been so beneficial for me to read the reviews and be like, that's why I wrote this book. Mm. That is why. So even if maybe someone doesn't like it, and to be fair, right now, <laughs> everyone who's bought the book pretty much knew me already. And you know they were, they were already going to like the book most likely, but I just got to read the details of what they took away. And it has been so impactful and heartwarming and reassuring for me to say, oh yeah, what that person just said, like that touched my heart, that touched my soul. And it has gotten me through some of the more vulnerable and anxiety ridden moments about sharing what I chose to share in that book. Like it's when I read those, I knew it was worth it. And reading those is so helpful. Just like getting an email, kind of in the same way of getting an email of someone saying, hey, this is what I took away from your book. And I just wanted to let you know how much it meant to me very same theory. So I think there are there are reasons to do it. And I think there are reasons to ignore <laughs> the reviews. <laughs> well, and one of the reasons to do it is I love the lightness in your voice as you were describing mm-hmm. that versus when you were first describing all the self-criticisms yes. about the rules. And, and you know, you, I could really hear the difference in your voice yeah. with those two. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, let's talk some more about imposter syndrome. So absolutely, I, I, <laughs> it's so interesting to me. I mean, I work with both men and women and anecdotally, I mean, it comes up with both, but it comes up more often with women. I mean, do you see a relationship between women culturally expected to be perfect or almost perfect and imposter syndrome? So that's an interesting thing. So there is definitely a Venn diagram between perfectionism and imposter syndrome. And when you read the research, and I, I want to say that I'm like 90% correct on this. So it's not like I've done all the research on perfectionism or anything. When you read the, the research on perfectionism, it is pretty gender neutral. Like the, the men can absolutely experience imposter syndrome and perfectionism. But the interesting thing is when you flip it over to imposter syndrome, there is currently conflicting research out there. So some research will say that not just women, but all people from underrepresented groups Mm. are more likely to experience imposter syndrome. Other research says that, no, really anyone, we're all equally likely to experience imposter syndrome, but the effects of it, the impacts of it are not the same on everyone because the way, the historical way that our culture has essentially buoyed back up more quickly white, straight, cisgender men. And so those moments of imposter syndrome have less of an impact because of the way that our culture buoys back up and has historically, you know, sent white, straight, cisgender men to greater power and confidence and all of those things. So absolutely anyone can experience it. I have also had many men tell me that they are plagued by imposter syndrome. So Mm -hmm. we never know what's going on inside people's heads. And there are very strong reasons that anyone from an underrepresented group is more likely to be impacted by imposter syndrome. 
That intuitively makes sense Right, to me. doesn't it? Yeah, it completely makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'll say from my own perspective, I really didn't experience imposter syndrome as a corporate employee. It's not like I never doubted myself. Like I was just saying, I questioned my voice and trying to, you know, speak up but not be too direct. And I absolutely had overthinking going on. But I never really experienced that feeling of being an imposter or a fraud or like I don't know enough to be here or I'm not enough of an expert. And that completely changed when I became a business owner. <laughs> I had I experienced a ton of imposter syndrome, particularly around calling myself a speaker or an expert. I felt much more comfortable saying that I was a facilitator and that relying on like, oh, I'm not an expert in imposter syndrome, but I'm a really good facilitator. And that is true. I think I am an expert, quote unquote, expert speaker facilitator. That's a very strong skill and gift that I have. And I can also own my knowledge in these other spaces. And that was really uncomfortable for me. Asking for money or raising my prices was really uncomfortable for me. I worried that people were not going to get the value out of what they were paying when I was initially starting my business. So yeah, it it came out of nowhere when I started my business. (laughs) But you know, usually it goes away pretty fast or someone doesn't stay in business because it would just be too painful to keep putting yourself out there if you if you feel yeah. like you're you're a fraud, right? That's an interesting is that your experience personally? Well, I want to be careful about assuming my experience is indicative yeah. of anybody else's, but I I don't know. I don't feel like I experienced the classic imposter syndrome. In fact, I think I did the opposite. I, I got feedback in my second job that I always acted like I knew more than I did, which would be kind of like the opposite. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that I haven't been reluctant to put my voice out there from time to time. I mean, so there's certainly that, but I don't feel like my actions ever rose to what I think of as imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where I think it's really helpful if you're experiencing this is to get some help and get through it. Because whether you have your own business or you're in, you know, you're working for somebody else, it's really helpful to be clear on your own worth and be willing to take risks so you don't live too small a life. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. I agree with every word you just said. (laughs) (laughs) So in Grounded Wildness, your latest book, um, you mentioned this idea of breaks and you have big breaks and small breaks. And I'm really curious about whether you believe we have to have these breaks before we can start creating our own rules versus just accepting what we've internalized. I mean, maybe you could just talk a little bit about how you define and think about what you call breaks. That's a really great question. So when I talk about in the book, so I talk about the ways that we perform in our lives, essentially these rules that tell us we need to prove, please, perfect, and then sometimes rebel, which rebelling is pushing against the rules even when it's not actually authentic to you. So it doesn't matter what other people see from the outside or whether they think you're rebelling. It's really how it feels on the inside. So all of these ways that we tend to perform in our lives. And the break to me is when we start to realize and notice the impact of these rules, that we are having these rules or we're being impacted by them. And that's the gateway into grounded wildness. And for me, grounded wildness is this grounded freedom and that we experience when you are grounded in your worth separate from the rules that you have been handed. And that allows you to be free, but in a way that is tethered in a positive way. So it's not 
wildness and chaoticness. It's not rebellion. It is grounded wildness in you, which is freedom in your business, in relationships, in the way you walk through the world, how you choose to spend your time, whether you have a team or not a team, all these different things. And your question about, you know, do we have to have these breaks in order to create new rules for our life? I don't know. I'm not really sure. I think there does need to be some sort of recognition of the way we have been living in order to create change, typically. Usually there is some sort of letting go in order to create a new phase of life, of work, of the way that we're believing and and what we go about in our in our day-to-day lives. For me, the breaks, the two big breaks that I describe in the book, they are both very deep. One was about recognizing why I finally stopped and asked myself after years and decades and decades of overachieving and just being the classic overachiever, not always a traditional person in my career and school path, but felt like I needed to overdo and achieve with everything, even in non-traditional career ways. And I finally stopped and asked myself why. And that was my first break was like, oh, wait, look at all these rules we're handed in our culture as a whole that we always need to be doing more. We're not allowed to slow down. We're not allowed to take a break and really connecting our worth to success and to achievement. And that was a really deep dive, but it wasn't overly emotional. It was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, now that I see this, I can make some different decisions. And it took time. It took time to let go. It took time to encompass some new beliefs around I'm worthy for who I am, not what I do. It was just kind of a journey I I paused, I went through on my own. And my second break was deeper than that, has nothing to do with business in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) But it was really about how I felt about my body and how I was showing up in romantic relationships and some shame and brokenness I felt in that arena of my life. And then again, coming to this really deep, freeing, and emotionally harrowing recognition and realization that, oh, wait, that was never mine to carry. I never needed to have shame in my body because that was a rule. Like that didn't come from me. That came from all the messages that our culture gives to young women about how their bodies are supposed to look, what's beautiful, what's desirable, Mm -hmm. what's worthy. And that was huge and deep and harrowing and took some therapy, you know, all of these things. And freedom was on the other side of that. And it was a freedom that spread out to all parts of my life, because then it wasn't just about overachieving. It was like, oh, wait, what other rules? What other rules have I been handed about how I'm supposed to show up and use my voice, about whether I'm too much or not enough, or what a good woman is supposed to look like and be like, or whether I'm supposed to be a mother or not, or how I'm supposed to run my business and you know where I'm supposed to be spending money in my business and all of these different things that cause this really deep questioning that allowed for freedom on the other side of that. And for me, those those breaks of, it is the break to greater freedom. And I think there always needs to be some sort of self-reflection in that, but I'm not going to dictate that, you know, for, for some people that's a lighter self-reflection, for some people that's really deep and challenging. And I think it's continual. Like I, I have experienced other breaks publishing this book, I would say, has created another break in my life of, you know, everything that was in there, I was doing on my own, feeling good about it, you know, talking about it with friends and other people around me. I felt as ready as I could ever feel to publish what was in Grounded Wildness and sharing it with everyone has been challenging and has caused some questioning and in a good way, questioning in a good way. And I have no doubt that I am moving through a break right now that will have greater freedom on the other side there too. 
what's intriguing about this is so the subliminal message is you don't have to have a breakdown, and I use that right. word very in a very particular way, in order to rethink how you are in the world and what we want to take forward. It can just be the start of a question, or maybe it's that somebody says something to you in a certain way and it hits you in a way it's never hit you before and you start this journey of exploration. Absolutely. I love that. So yeah, I think it is for a lot of people, it does tend to be some sort of breakdown, little or big, because yeah. that those are the things that we pay attention to, you know, the heart. <laughs> we don't usually pay attention when things are good. <laughs> we pay attention. Uh, and it's a practice to, you know, try and pay attention. Wait, when do I feel really good as opposed to the, the breakdowns? But I love what you said around, it can just be a question. It can be a Wait, and you know, I do um, in my speaking, I have one of my speaking engagements is called Creating Your Own Rules for Success, where I walk through a lot of these overachieving hustle culture, perfectionism, proving type rules, and then take people through, you know, where they come from and then say, what's your definition of success separate from those rules? And people come up to me afterwards and they're like, I have never thought about any of this. My mind is blown right now. And I'm thinking about all the rules that my family gave me and friends gave me and culture gave me and, you know, these messages that I've carried with me. And they're not having a breakdown in the middle of the session. You know, they're just having realizations, realizations that can lead to change. Well, you just segued perfectly into something else I wanted to talk about, which is making our own rules. And this is something that I suspect will be wildly appealing to the Soloist Women audience. Yes. <laughs> we have quite a few women, actually, who've been making their own rules pretty consistently. But I also hear from women who are frustrated, beating their heads against the wall, trying to, you know, I'm going to use the word win, a game with the rules stacked against them. So how do we start making our own rules if we haven't been doing it already. Oh, I love that. And sometimes it does feel like the rules are stacked against you. And sometimes for me, I think it's about saying, what game am I actually playing? Like some of these messages that I'm getting are telling me to play a game that I don't want to actually participate in. Like I yeah. don't want to participate. And it's a consistent reminder that I don't want to play in the bigger is always better game. I don't mm -hmm. want to play there, even though those messages are all around. So it is a consistent reminding myself of, oh, wait, no, it's okay. I get to choose. <laughs> I get to choose what I what I want to do. And so, yeah, I would say start really, it's, I think it's about reconnecting to yourself and being really clear, particularly think about businesses saying like, what feels true to you? How do you want to show up? And I'll just give you a few examples from early in my business. Because I think the content of what I did was always felt pretty aligned and pretty to my own rules for life. Like I never was talking about things that felt like a should or anything like that. But the how, the how I went about things was absolutely following a whole ton of rules. So a few examples, all that crap marketing language that I hate around scarcity and fake deadlines and, you know, this is going to go away in two hours. But even though you're sending that email out every single time someone signs up for your list, so really it's there all the time. I mean, just all of that marketing language, if there's real scarcity involved, like there's only 10 spots in this program and they're going to be done when they're done. I'm fine with that. But, you know, this idea that we have to open a wound and pour salt in it <laughs> in order for someone to buy something from us is not something that I subscribe to. But yet that's definitely what I was taught and followed some of that. And it did not feel good. I think we can absolutely talk about pain and real things. 
And there's a difference there. And I I don't know what the difference is for other people, but I know the difference for me and what feels like connection and empathy versus pouring salt into wounds. So like mm. that was one set of rules that I was like, wait, no, I just want to connect. I want to connect on a human level and that will lead to sales. And it did. It did lead to greater sales, I will say as well, from what I was taught, I was supposed to speak about. I had people tell me and I followed like, you have to have a Facebook group. If you're a coach, if you're going to run online programs, you have to have a Facebook group. So I did. And I put a lot of time and effort into it. And then about a year or two into it, I realized that nothing was coming out of that. And it was really busy. I mean, it was like just extra work and not nothing was coming out of it. I did Facebook ads, which I hated. Um, you know, all of these things because they were the things I was quote unquote supposed to do to run a successful business. And 95% of them did not work for me. And it took me stepping back and saying, okay, how do I actually want to run my business? And if this way that I've been taught also isn't working, let's try the way I want to work, I want to show up and see what does work. And of course, there's tweaking along the way and there's you know making changes. But the way I was taught wasn't working either. So like, let's create my own rules and see that's going to feel better and let's see if it works. So yeah, those are some of the ways I think we can start thinking about knowing for ourselves what rules we do want to play, what what games we even want to participate in, and what games we just want to say, that's not my game. I'm going to let that to the sidelines. Yeah, I was thinking authentic alignment. Like we, we you're telling your marketing, it's it's because I'm sure part of the reason what worked for others didn't work for you is because it didn't feel authentic to you. It felt fake. Completely. It did not feel authentic. And that's why it didn't work. It, I'm sure it did work for other people when it felt authentic to them. It did not feel authentic to me. And it took a while to coming out of corporate to rediscover what my authentic voice was. So there was a yeah. process there of just saying, how do I write not in a corporate email? How do I speak to people from, from my heart and from a place of connection while still offering up, you know, this is how I can help you solve the problem that you're facing. You know, this kind of combination of heart connection and, and logical connection at the same time. Um, it took a while. It took a while for me yeah. to re rediscover those. Well, and it's one of the the joys and the challenges of owning your own business because we listen like to podcasts or we read from various gurus and somebody will say, this is the way you do it. Here are all the answers. And you're like, okay, I'm going to try that. <laughs> and sometimes um, people will do that over and over and over again, but they're switching right? I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this now because this is the hot thing. Okay, that didn't work. All right, I'm going to try this one. And I really love that you stepped back and started to question, like, mm -hmm. do I have to do this the same way everyone else has done or can I create new rules? I feel like that's really the question. And sometimes I think the challenge is in understanding that you are following a rule because it's so unconscious for some of us or some of the rules that we are living by. It's so unconscious and because they're just, we're swimming in these rules. And, and you know, not all rules are highly negative, but we are swimming in rules and guidelines and messages all day long. And especially now that we are also swimming in social media <laughs> all the time and yeah. so much is around us. I mean, I find, you know, Instagram is real hit or miss for me because it can trigger comparison in me. It can trigger like, oh, maybe I should be doing that. Or wow, this person seems really successful. Maybe I should try that. And sometimes there are lessons, good, positive lessons to be learned of, oh, I could try that. That actually feels like it might be authentic to me as well. Or mm -hmm. that's an inspiration. Wow, that person is doing some really cool things. 
what do I want to take away from that? So it's not all negative, but I've seen particularly with social media, for me, it triggers some greater comparison, greater desire to follow the rules or a want, you know, an immediate want. And then I have to take a step back and say, okay, no, no, what is really going on here? And what do I really, what do I really want? And how do I want to run my business and show up in the world? Yeah. I find Instagram makes me buy stuff that I oh, would not funny. have bought otherwise. <laughs> it does not do that to me. Some of, they must have gotten the algorithm of she does not buy from this platform because that's I get like national park, um, <laughs> national park posts and uh, lots of business owners and different people like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Heather, I've got one last question, which I love to ask everyone, which is if you could go back to who you were when you first started your business, what's the one thing you would advise? advise her to do? Mm. Trust herself, I think is, I said that with a lot of questioning in my voice, I realized as it came out (laughs) of my mouth. Um, I think it's just to learn. I mean, to a certain degree, I look back and I, you know, of these rules that I was following. And I think from a business perspective, I needed to go through that journey to understand what was important to me and what were the rules I needed to Uh, the new rules I wanted to follow about how I wanted to run my business. So I don't really regret it. And I think, you know, just trusting myself and trusting the journey. And I could have done that in a deeper way, I think, earlier in my business. And just to know that you're going to (laughs) fail, you are going to fail. And that is not, that's not a reflection of your worth. It is not a reflection of the long-term success of your business to have a single or even a couple of failures it's okay. It's part of the ride. And in fact, I recently reflected that I hadn't failed in a while. And I thought, hmm, that probably means I'm not taking big enough risks because I haven't failed in a while. So encompass or, or get used to even lean towards the possibility of failure. Gotcha. That's awesome. Well, Heather, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And your latest book, Grounded Wildness, is really a very personal exploration of letting go of rules. And there's a lot of vulnerability in there. So I commend you on putting it out there and um, absolutely hope our readers give it a listen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And yeah, you can get signed copies on my website, which is heatherwellbly.com or all the Amazon Audible places (laughs) that you would typically get it. It's out there as well. So thank you. And what's your website? Where can people find you? We'll, we'll have this in the show notes. But. Perfect. It's just heatherwellpley.com. And I think I'm the only Heather Wellpley in the world. So if you Google me anywhere, all my, the podcast, my books, my website, my LinkedIn profile, which is my main social media platform was LinkedIn. They should all show up right away in the search engine. One of a kind. Yes, that's right. <laughs> people may, may not be able to spell or pronounce my last name, but if you get it anywhere close to it, you will find me. Awesome. Okay, so before we say goodbye today, if you're looking to connect with like-minded women working in the B2B space, be sure to check out the link to my Soloist Women community in the show notes. It's at rochellemolten.com slash soloist dash women. So that's it for this episode. I hope you'll join us next time for Soloist Women. Bye-bye.